We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Fear from Goldberg. A spear! Goldberg hit Lesnar with a spear! A spear from out of nowhere! Goldberg may shock the world. Goldberg looking to end this early. Lesnar's hurt! Lesnar's hurt! Goldberg again with a spear! Two spears to Lesnar! Brock's in trouble! He's got Lesnar center of the ring. Goldberg's looking for a jackhammer! He's looking for the jackhammer! Goldberg looking for the jackhammer! What up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. This week's episode of The Corner is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the cost. You know me and Andreas are always covering events, we're always writing articles, but when we do have time to sleep, we lay our head down on a nice, pillowy soft premium mattress from Casper Mattresses. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and going straight to you. No showrooms, no middleman, everyone's seen those creepy guys trying to follow you around the department store, none of that anymore. You get your hands on a nice premium mattress by going straight to Casper Mattresses. 
Yeah, man. I mean, I, I got to get my rest. So Casper Mattress is the, is the goods. I'm telling you right now. So listen, you can get $50 off of any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's one word, the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner promo code T-H-E-C-O-R-N-E-R. Terms and conditions apply. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Shout out to the sponsors. It's nice to be back. Shout out to the Reverse Rat Pack for coming through last week. We'll have another show with those guys coming up in December because it's NXT weekend in Vegas. So everyone's out here for that. But right now it's Thanksgiving week. So me and Andreas Hale are recording our show before the madness starts. Andreas, what are your plans for Thanksgiving, my man? To eat. That's my plan is to eat. It's Thanksgiving. It's the time of the year to get fat. So I'm only worried about eating. Who does the cooking in your crib? Or do you do you get your hands dirty? Are you in the kitchen? Um, I tend to, you know, I, I lend the assist. I'm like Stockton in the kitchen. But uh, my wife is, she, she cooks, uh, she has an amazing macaroni and cheese dish. Uh, my niece and nephew call it the famous macaroni and cheese. So, um, yeah, she's the one who really throws down in the kitchen. So it's, it's really going to be all on my wife and uh, my uh, sister-in-law this year. Nice, nice. Uh, I tasted your sister-in-law's cooking. When I went over your crib one day, it was bomb. She made some yeah, pasta yeah. that was delicious. But we got to talk about your your Thanksgiving because uh, is, is macaroni and cheese is back on the menu, right? All right. So this year, <laughs> if you guys haven't listened, you guys got to go back to last year's episode of Thanksgiving and our amazing rant about my girlfriend. Her family has like this real elaborate Thanksgiving. They put like little place settings out. You got an RSVP a month in advance. And we get the invite this year, and I'm like, all right, cool. And everyone has to bring something. They make mad food, but usually you bring something with you as well. So I'm looking down. Last year, they didn't have mac and cheese on the list. We go on a whole big rant. This year, I look at my invite. Guess what's a pre-selection now? Like, it's clickable. Mac and cheese. <laughs> like, I put them up on game. Like, I changed the way they live for Thanksgiving. It's a selection now. So nice. I click mac and cheese. I'm bringing it again, a small pan this time. And then, um, but now I'm like, yo, I feel like it's my job now to just continue to enlighten them every year. So this year, I'm also bringing Puerto Rican food. Mm, what, do, what, what are you bringing? I'm making a pelning. It's like if you never had pelning, it's delicious. It's like a roasted pork shoulder, like, but it's marinated in garlic for like 24 hours. I got it going already. Then I cook it like 18 hours. It's delicious. Um, so I'm bringing that, uh, last year I bought the Coquito in which no one really messed with the Coquito. Uh, if any Puerto Ricans are listening to the show, it's blasphemous. Anyone from NY really, the Coquito people are out. They make mad dough around this time. Uh, I was the only person drinking the Coquito, so I will not be making that again, but I'm thinking, you know, just maybe some arroz con, con gandule, you know, a little rice, um, bring that over there. You know, I'm just trying to ease them into it. I can't make anything, like, too elaborate yet because they'll be looking at me like I'm crazy. They, well, they yeah. kind of look at stuff with the side eye. Like, they look at it, they poke it, they, like, take a little bit of it. I, I could see them. I'd be like, yo, it's good. Don't worry about it. So, you know, just open up their eyes a little bit at a time. This year's the pending. Maybe it'll be on the menu next year. You never know. Just I feel like I'm bringing something to the culture. And For the this culture. Year, I may, you know... I may open up and broaden my horizons. I may try, like, a green bean casserole or something. Um, I've really stayed away from it in my life. It's usually not for me. 
Uh, I don't really have it at Thanksgivings, but I guess it's a staple. That's what someone mentioned to me last year when we did the show. They were like, yo, the way you feel about them not having mac and cheese is probably the way white people feel about you not having green bean casserole. Yeah, see, we don't, no, we don't do green bean casserole where I'm from. No, like, I've never had it at a Thanksgiving. So I was like, you know what? They tried my mac and cheese. I, I got to extend the olive branch. I got to go the extra mile, and I got to try a casserole. I don't have high hopes for this casserole, but see, I'm, I'm going to try it. See, like, broccoli and cheese casserole is amazing. That's, that's delicious. But green bean casserole, nah, not so much. I'm not a fan of any casseroles. I don't like my food touching on the plate. Oh, you one of those? Yeah, I'm I'm one of those. Like if you got like the the paper separated plates, you are my best friend for Thanksgiving. Cuz I can wow. section stuff off like oh, biggest pet peeve in Thanksgiving. And I know y'all feel me out there. When you try to get greens and the juices be all over the plate. Oh yeah, everybody's got that issue. Like, I hate when the greens juices touch my mac and cheese or the cranberry sauce. Like, nah, like, it's tainting everything. I get a separate plate just for the greens. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, you're not the only one in that boat. All right, but you pile food on top of each other? This is what you're telling me? Yeah. It's savage just, life? It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have the luxury. I didn't have the luxury growing up to have plates that separated my food. So, yeah. I, I mean, I don't like everything touching each other either, but... Um, when you don't have a choice, you just deal with it. Nah, see, I, my grandma used to do dishes like it was her favorite activity. So I'd grab like three plates, not even paper plates, like out the cabinet plates. Like I have a bowl, a plate, another plate. Like, yo, I'm, I'm sitting there. I got my whole shop set up so nothing touches and a little plate for the dessert because I don't need my pie next to all my other food. You see me at media days. I got like yeah. four. I got like four plates at these events. Yeah, I've seen you. Yeah, and I don't go, I don't make multiple trips. You looked at me crazy like that before at a meeting? No. Like, yo, you'll go up, you'll eat your food, then go get a dessert, then come back and talk, and then go try to get more food. Nah, I go one trip. I load all the plates up. I look like a waiter at TGI Fridays. I got stuff up on my forearm. I carry everything at once. Nah, I can dig it. I am efficient. Um, One thing we didn't touch on last year, though, is we all grew up, you know, around some good food. I know you grew up around some good food. What's your favorite Thanksgiving sides? Because I was watching His and Hers, shout out to His and Hers, um, and their podcast, and they always touch on different Thanksgiving joints. And their biggest, I guess, argument or debate is always the sides. It's like, yo, everyone kind of has the same meats and always has the same things around, but the side dishes is what really set you apart. Growing up, like, what was your favorite sides? I know your um, family threw down. I seen your mama. Your mama looked like she could throw down in the kitchen. Yeah, but see, I grew up with my grandmother, and my grandmother can't cook. So What? I oh, wait. Had, Italian grandmother can't cook? She can't cook. She couldn't cook at all. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't until I got older, like, my pops would cook a bit. Um, my mom's is all right. And then, you know, like, my wife and her family throw down. But I've always been big on, like, candy yams. Candy yams, if you make them right, are amazing. Marshmallow uh, or no marshmallow? Um, I can do the marshmallow. I could go either way. Yeah, that, 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 one, that one goes either way. That, and you have to have adult macaroni and cheese. Like, mac, you can't have Thanksgiving without macaroni and cheese. That's just... <laughs> it's obviously possible. <laughs> no, it's not, because that's not Thanksgiving. That's just dinner. Like, you can't have Thanksgiving <laughs> without macaroni and cheese. It's, it's mandatory. Um, Talking about that, I also don't do mashed potatoes. Random thought. 
What? How do you not do mashed potatoes? They're too normal. Those that's normal dinner. I don't do mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. See, you gotta do like the deluxe cheddar mashed potatoes with sour cream and like my wife makes some amazing mashed potatoes. She just makes amazing food. Now that sounds uh-huh. delicious. <laughs> yeah, I like, take my make, statement back. Yeah, you gotta try cheddar mashed potatoes. Look, the door is always open to come to the house to eat for Thanksgiving because we always have way too much food. Um, but Absolutely, like mashed potatoes. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think. What else? This is our basically our pound for pound list. I don't. I can't even put these things in order. Um, you gotta have some cornbread. Cornbread's really good. Um, and you gotta have a vegetable. But I, yeah, I guess it'd be greens. You have to have some greens with hot sauce because you gotta have it with corn. <laughs> gotta have it with the cornbread. I love that greens is the vegetable. Yeah, it's it comes out the ground. It's green. It's a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> No, nah, so you stick pretty much traditional sides then. Nothing like off the wall. No, I think one year I made a, um, a white chicken chili, which was pretty damn good. But I don't necessarily call it a Thanksgiving side. It's just a bonus. It's like when you when you go to like Burger King and they, they and they serve hot dogs at Burger King. That's kind of how I look like at chicken white chicken chili at Thanksgiving. It's just like a special, and you don't do it every year. You just throw it in there. Ain't nothing yep. wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, like, my sides are, it's so weird because when they were talking about it, I was like, yo, yeah, all the traditional sides, all this stuff. But, like, you, like, I grew up with my non-black side of family, kind of. So, I grew up with my grandma, and she's Puerto Rican, and I grew up around all my Puerto Rican family. And we always had, like, Thanksgiving dinners at my Titi Lolling's house in Long Island. Shout out to Hempstead. Um, And so, like, all my sides are so different. Like, I'd go over to my grandma's house, like, maybe next day, my grandma Janice, and she had, like, traditional, um, you know, greens, mac and cheese, all that. But I ate leftovers there. So my sides were, like, um, I'm not sure if you ever had this, and I'll, I'll make it and bring some over for you one day. Change your life, Andreas. But it's mojejas. Um, nope. Mojejas are chicken gizzards in, like, this garlic sauce. With these, you've probably had a green plantain before in your life. Yep. There's like tiny ones called guineos, and they chop those up. So you boil those, chop those up, and put them in with gizzards. And mind you, I didn't know these things were gizzards until I was like 18 years old. Because if I did, I would never eat them. Never ate it <laughs> ever, ever, ever. But yo, they are incredible. So Thanksgiving sides, all my Spanish people, you know what's up. That has to be on my list. Um, The mac and cheese, obviously greens ah man you know yams are so touchy i can't eat everybody's yams yo so i can't put them on this on this list i went over someone's house one year they just cracked open the can and just put it in a a dish like heat it up in a microwave nah man you gotta make them homemade you can't have yams out of let's see my grandmother made them out of a can not delicious you gotta (laughs) you gotta chop up the potato like you gotta do it right that i don't know no anything that comes in a can is not for thanksgiving nah um, I mean, greens in a can. Okay, listen. Someone showed me these greens in a can that were pretty damn good. I know it's blasphemous, but they're like something glory. These greens in a can are bomb. Outside of that, nothing in a can. Um, yeah, yo, I, I, I feel like asparagus is bomb. Once again, shout out to our Caucasian listeners. I feel like they always have like a bomb side of asparagus and cranberry sauce, but I don't do the can. Like, you got to make the real cranberry sauce yeah, and, like, let it sit. Like, I need the whole cranberries in there and all that. I can't do the, the slices. 
I remember, yo, my ex used to always buy like eight cans of the slight of the cranberry sauce in a can. It's the only way she ate it. I was like, oh, you're such a savage for that. <laughs> so I couldn't, I couldn't do it, man. But that's that's Thanksgiving right there in a the nutshell. That's all the good parts of Thanksgiving, and that's what we're enjoying. Um, by the time you listen to this podcast, really, hopefully you guys all have an amazing Thanksgiving. If you guys want to take pictures of your Thanksgiving food, make sure you send that over. We'll be blasting stuff out from uh, the show's Twitter and our Twitters all day during Thanksgiving. Uh, I'll be posting some of my food. Make sure you guys, you know, put you guys up onto game. I will also be doing my live play-by-play from my girlfriend's uh, Thanksgiving. So you guys can see the craziness that is over there. I love her fam. But uh, it's very immaculate. I feel like I'm in the Princess Diaries. Like, I'm way, <laughs> way too underdressed for this. Like, everything's so proper. Um, so we'll be doing that. Also, another thing to avoid, please stay away from the politics on Thanksgiving. Well, see, it depends on the household that you're in. Oh, Andres, don't do it, man. Don't, don't do the Trump talk. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I welcome it because, like, I, I'm a I'm an aggravator. So when it comes to these conversations, I don't I don't necessarily lose. I just aggravate people until they leave. So I don't have a problem. <laughs> don't be that guy. Like, uh, a lot of people feel like you know, there's always like a, a good spirited argument on Thanksgiving. Usually, it's about football or something. This year, I feel like Trump is the hot debate, and if you are uh, in mixed company. Or you're not just around your family. Please stay away from the conversation. We know. We got you. Stay away from it. Don't lose like family members and friends. Just eat tomorrow. Let it chill. It's going to be very, very uh, colorful at a lot of these Thanksgiving mixes. And I stay away from the Trump, yo. That's my public service announcement for this episode. <laughs> see, I don't, see, my thing is I don't invite politics talk to my house because people i mean if you come to my house and you see my bookshelf you can tell the type of person that i am so it's like you might as well avoid it because you're not going to win that conversation because then i just because that's what i do i insult people that's that's just what i do and it's just unnecessary to bring that nonsense over to my house just leave it alone because i don't just i don't bring it up it just happens yo i told you like i was just with my friend again the other day and it's my first time hanging out with him. Usually we watch football, whatever, whatever. And his girlfriend's an avid Trump supporter. I've mentioned her on the podcast before. So I'm trying not to bring it up. Like, act, like I make it through probably 60% of our time hanging out before someone else brings it up. And I'm just like, fuck. And the smile that goes across her face. Like, we're at Buffalo Wild Wings. I swear, three people at our table just wanted to hit her in the face with mad blue cheese. Yeah, she deserves it. <laughs> but we were all just like, it was just such a smug look. So I was like, yo, yeah. I was like, I can't do this. With the, with the supporters and everything, like, I, I ain't about this life. I ain't about, about the misinformation that is about to come out. I was like, oh, man. So I, I got through that. You guys be strong. Stay away from the Trump. <laughs> stay away from the Trump conversation. Um, one thing we have to talk about, and what we're here to talk about, is combat sports. And we just had a staple of Thanksgiving, which it saddens Andreas every year that it's not on Thanksgiving. But we had Survivor Series. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, it happened. <laughs> it wasn't. I, I saw, if you guys haven't seen it, go to Champions. Andreas did a cool piece, uh, him and another writer, grading Survivor Series. It's very cool to just see, you know, people's thoughts. And it, it kind of gets, it's more get structured than your Twitter thoughts. 
a lot of the time. So it's a great recap. It's kind of giving fans the insight that we always talk about. Right. Um, so make sure you guys check that out on our champions. But Survivor Series, to me, wasn't as bad as you thought it was. Even though your grades were very nice for it. You're a great grader. If you were, like, my teacher when I was in college, I would have been so appreciative. Well, see, here's the thing. You don't like it, but you graded it fairly well. Well, here's the thing, because it wasn't... It was long, and that was, and that's one grade that I couldn't get. The Survivor Series was extremely long, and it was completely... Un, and we'll talk about TakeOver after we talk about Survivor Series. Four hours of wrestling with a lot of inconsequential things happening ends up being frustrating. And in, in a vacuum, some of those matches weren't bad. Like, the tag team match, strangely enough, was actually pretty good, but it, it was so fast. Like, it, it was for it to happen as fast as it happened, like, I was like, all right. I mean, they could have slowed it down. They could have gave American Alpha more time. They could have gave some of the other teams more time, but it just happened so fast. Then the women's match was just extraordinarily sloppy. And I was like, what is this? But then, sandwiched in between all this, you had... Two potentially uh, WWE Universe-altering matches with The Miz and Sami Zayn and with Kalisto and Brian Kendrick, and nothing happens. That pissed me off more than anything else. <laughs> they had, no they change. Had a, yeah, like they had a chance to do a soft reset on some of the things that I feel like they botched since the draft, and they didn't even go that route. They, they played it safe. Baron Corbin interferes in, in the, uh, the Kalisto and, and Brian Kendrick match. Why? Why, did, why is that still a thing? Those two feuding is like, it doesn't make sense because style-wise, style they're awful for each other. And then to see Sami Zayn lose again to The Miz, it, and that was a, actually a really good match. And it was on the verge of getting to be great. And then that, that ridiculous ending with Mari's pushing him over. Like, what? I mean, not pushing him over, uh, ringing the bell. the bell. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was a good heel ending. That's a heel ending we don't see too often. Really? Yeah, not um, on this night. That's that was my problem. I was like, on this night we're doing this? Yeah, because the belt should have switched over or Zayn should have went there. It feels as though they left the feud open ended. But when they, do you revisit it? Royal they Rumble don't is so revisit. far away. It's over. Because Ziggler, as we'll talk about, Ziggler and, and uh the Miz are back to feuding again. They're gonna have a match at I mean uh, TLC. So this none of the like a lot of the booking just didn't make sense. The matches weren't bad. Like, the main match, well, the main five-on-five, that was actually pretty good. But let's just talk about the matches. I mean, I don't know where you want to start. I can well, get we'll some... run through the easy ones first. Uh, okay. The Raw women's match. Raw beats SmackDown. Um, Charlotte turns on Bayley. That was probably the highlight of the match. Sasha gets eliminated fairly easily. Um, Nia Jax gets eliminated easily, too, which... They did a great job with Strowman later on in the show, and we'll talk about that. They did a horrible job with Nia Jax. And the rest of the, I mean, I guess Becky Lynch looked good for SmackDown. Everyone else was like, womp, womp, womp. Well, you, there, there's, there's one of my problems with this match. Um, it was sloppy, like that botched DDT spot with Nia Jax. But to have the end with it being Becky Lynch against Charlotte and Bailey, and, you know, Bailey's usually the proverbial underdog that would have to, you know, overcome insurmountable odds. But it was Becky Lynch, and she had a two-on-one, and then she just got belly to belly. It wasn't even like a match. She just got dragged. And that, <laughs> that to me, didn't make any sense because I was like, I, I felt like the SmackDown women were going to lose. But it was just the way it ended. I was like, what? Like, why did, why did we go that route? And it was like, it was so predictable that Charlotte and Bailey were going to feud. But then Sasha getting eliminated early was kind of strange. Um, and, and it was just overall, it was just a weird weird match 
It wasn't good. That's what it, that's what it comes out. It just wasn't good. There was no fluidity. Uh, it didn't. To me, it didn't start any new feuds. I wasn't looking for a top feud to be made in this match. You have ten women for a reason. They could have set up three different lower feuds in this match. I think maybe they set up a, a feud going forward on who attacked Nikki Bella. So well, yeah, they but... did that with the horrible acting job, which was atrocious, but fine. You set up a lower level feud. And then Becky Lynch is feuding, I, I guess, still with Alexa Bliss. They didn't get any heat out of this match. Um, Zero. And then Nia Jax is feuding with who? They didn't build anyone for her to feud with or make her squash the other team to look strong. So you, they just dropped the ball on so many things. Naomi was doing nothing. Um, the other black chick from Raw, I don't even remember her name, was doing nothing. <laughs> Alicia Fox. Alicia Fox. I don't know why she was even in the match. It just highlighted how thin SmackDown is compared to Raw. And then, even then, Raw is thin because you have Alicia Fox in the match. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the Raw women are top-heavy. We got Sasha, Bailey, and Charlotte, and then there's nobody else. I mean, Nia's like, Nia. she's, in the, she's in the middle, but she, she got tapped out to a disarmer. And, and we'll talk about in the main match how Strowman was handled, but that's not how you handle a monster. You don't have her tap out. Never. No. That that it was that uh, whatever. Keep it moving. Where, where, what's next? Um, Miz, Sami Zayn touched on that. It was a great match. I like the ending. Um, Maurice and Miz are a great combo. We'll see if he drops the belt right back to Ziggler. For for SmackDown to keep the belt, Ziggler could have just faced Zayn though. That's my issue. And just went what? over clean. Like why what's why the put point? the belt on the Miz? Like if I felt like they made this rash decision at some point to go, well, you know what? Instead of having Ziggler and Zayn, which would actually be a, a completely phenomenal match with no bullshit, let's put the Miz in there so we can have heel versus face. Like, and ended bullshit. Like they hate yeah. clean matches. That just it was just silly to take the belt off of Ziggler. That's what frustrated me because it it made me think when they put the belt on Miz, I was like, okay, well they're gonna have Zayn go over because it's face and heel. All right, that makes sense. But to have this happen the way that it did, it completely undermines the entire idea that Ziggler was this whole, I, I need to win this title or I'm going to retire. Well, then he won it, and then he lost it like three weeks later. So now how does he feel about life? <laughs> Late retirement? <laughs> Delayed retirement. Um, so that, yeah, it made no sense. Once again, the booking started off horrible. Um, we had the tag match. The Raw Tag Teams versus SmackDown. Um... Which had its spots. Once, once kind of like the lower level guys got the hell out of there, I didn't need the Shining Stars. Um, I, I guess I didn't need, what, Breezango and all those guys. Once all of that kind of clears out, the Riff Raft, uh, Hype Bros, all that stuff, it turned into a pretty good match. No, I mean, the, the Usos are, have been a revelation as a heel tag team. They're actually really good as heels, and I enjoy watching them. And Inside I actually hope Usos. They get yeah, I, I hope um, the gang-affiliated Usos get the tag team titles. <laughs> like, that's what I hope. <laughs> because I feel like Slater and Rhino's run is coming to an end, um, and I hope they eventually get their hands on them because they're good as heels. And the only heel tag team aside from the Wyatt family that makes sense. Um, the, uh, my issue with this match, it, it, wasn't, it didn't become an issue until what happened on Monday Night Raw. Was the New Day getting eliminated as early as they did? And then what happened on Raw when they had to cheat to beat Cesaro and Sheamus. That is, that heel. was problematic. The heel turn is coming again, right? Well, I don't think so. I think they're kind of softening them up to eventually drop the titles, but 
the manner in which they're doing is making them look weak and enforcing that they're more of a comedy act than they are a tag team. And at this point, I feel like if you're going to eliminate them earlier Survivor Series, I don't have a problem with that. But for them to, to cheat to beat Cesaro and Sheamus, who can never get along, that was kind of silly. And They've I know been cheating for weeks, though. Yeah, but that, and that makes them feel weak to me. Like, why, why do you have to cheat every time? It's like every time Xavier Woods is in a match, he cheat. But now Kofi Kingston is jobbing out. Biggie's the only one who doesn't lose in these matches, right? So, but it's like, I don't know. But in a, again, in a vacuum, looking at the match itself, it was fun. It just you had to get the, the uh, you had to tear the crust off the bread. You had to get all that crusty ass Breezango and shining stars, and yeah. oh, you had to get that shit out of here before you can actually have a match. Yeah, and it was good after that. American Alpha had some great spots. Um, then where was abruptly eliminated. But I was like, damn, they're taking this match over. So that was right. a nice little shining point right there. Um, they do the ode to the Steiner Bros now, which I love. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're over. It just it feels like they're on. I don't know if they're on the wrong show. Or they need to spend more time at NXT. But American Alpha people lo- people like them, but they don't love them yet. I think yeah. them and Bailey are in the same in a similar situation. To me, Bailey's- they have to be champions. And main roster works so weird because they they rush through so many storylines and everything that you often don't get the respect you deserve until you are champions. Yeah, I mean, it just re- depends on the push. Like Bailey's, you know, she slowed down a great deal. American Alpha grinded to a halt immediately, and they're both loved. But they just need to be in the right situation. And maybe Bailey's in the right situation with Charlotte. American Alpha's in no man's land. They're going to be wrestling the Wyatts next week to see who faces uh, Rhino and Slater um, at TLC. But I don't think they're going over. Because <laughs> we'll talk about the Wyatts and how they, how they finish up this match in a second. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to the tag. Cesaro and Sheamus win it. Which the only tag team that isn't a real tag team won it. Which is always a problem with me. Uh, I, I just still feel like they're just thrown together. They're a spot holder. I, I don't understand it. A lot like last year when they gave Sheamus the belt for no reason. You know, um, I, for Roman I Reigns actually, to chase. I don't. I don't understand. I don't have a problem with Sheamus and Cesaro as a tag team. I think because neither of them were doing anything, so it's best that they put them together. Um, but I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel on this. I can't figure out how far this goes before they either turn on each other again or one of them goes to the dark side of the light side. Either Sheamus turns face or Cesaro turns heel. One of these things has to happen in the near future. They can't do this forever. Heel Cesaro would be great. I, I don't know. Because face Sheamus sucks, but I don't know. <laughs> Sheamus is going to suck regardless. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, then we have Brian Kendrick versus Kalisto. We touched oh, on it. God, so Whatever. Um, Kalisto almost killed Brian Kendrick, though. He's, I mean, he's turning into this. Ever since he had that horrible promo, he's, he's like, botching everything. He's, like, between him and Sin Cara, they just botch everything. And I don't really understand, like, I don't, I don't get it. To have this match with a, a true cruiserweight who could have carried that division in, in Kalisto, to not win this match and feud with Baron Corbin? Because, like, where does Kalisto go after Baron Corbin? Nowhere. He needs to be on Raw or Smack- the Cruiserweight division needs to come to SmackDown. This doesn't make any sense. But the Cruiserweight division is just abysmal right now. It's pitiful. And Brian Kendrick being champion doesn't help it at all. No. Headlock. A lot of headlocks. I don't understand. <laughs> Live 205 has to kind of do a massive reset to the Cruiserweights. Um, and that's on Tuesdays, which is why it would have made perfect sense to put the title on SmackDown. Yeah, but they don't care true. what makes sense. Um, and then we have the men's match, which was 55, 52 minutes and 55 seconds long. 
that it was too long. And it like I enjoyed was, every minute of it. I got lost. I, I, I forgot that it was an hour long. See, I liked it. I thought it was good and I thought it had its spots. Um I thought they booked Strowman amazingly well. Uh even the way he was eliminated was great. But man, it just felt like, yo, this is really long on a long ass show. Like that was that was my problem with it. And and usually I'm not a stickler for time and for a good match. But I was like, God damn. Now, uh, another thing I have to say is Shane McMahon needs to look at his bank account and say, I don't need to take these bumps anymore. Cut it out. <laughs> Shane's here Roman, for the culture. Listen, that Roman Reigns spear, like, it obliterated Shane. That was ridiculous. Yo, Shane's like, head hits the mat, and I'm just like, damn, he killed him. And then the ref, like, stops counting like it's a kickout. I'm like, that's involuntary. Like, he doesn't know where he's at. He didn't kick out of this shit. Keep counting. Oh, my God. Like, no like, one's going to blame you. Like, oh, the coast to coast into the spear. The spot was amazing, though. I mean, the spot was amazing. It's just you could tell the moment that Roman Reigns left his feet, he was a little too high on the spear, and he caught him right in the chin. He was like that and, all night, though. Super high on the spear. Like, he yeah, doesn't, like, he can't aim for a waist to save his life. No, and he, he, just, he blew Shane up. Um, aside from that, I mean, the, Kevin Owens, the way he eliminated himself, I get it. They kept him strong. Um, Jericho being super over makes sense. Um, and then the process of elimination, you know, the little shield reunion was good. I just felt like it was kind of convoluted. It was like a lot to stuff into this match. Um, and, and which will be fine, but when it all ended, the only thing that you got out of it is that Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles still hate each other. Which and, is great. That's, that's one feud. That's perfect. And then, you know, the Wyatts won. But it still feels weird that Randy Orton's part of the Wyatt family. Like, I still... I like, love the addition of Randy Orton into the Wyatts. Because sooner or later, someone has to turn. Um, Bray has to win. So you put him with Randy. He can maybe win some of these little feuds. And if Randy, for some reason, has to challenge AJ Styles, doing so as part of the Wyatts is a good... Just a good, I guess, mix and feel to that. And then maybe Bray being jealous of Randy getting the attention or winning the belt, and then those two feud off of it. it it's so many options with such a limited roster that, yes. to me, it makes sense. Like, okay. Like, Randy taking the spear for Bray and Bray getting the, the pinfall on Roman Reigns. It was funny how much heat Roman Reigns had in that arena. They just can't get that guy over for shit. No, they Boy. were booing the hell out of him. They were so happy when it looked like he was about to lose. Yeah, but... I don't. I guess my issue isn't necessarily with Randy being in the Wyatts. It was the way he joined the Wyatts that bothers me. That whole turn on Kane thing on SmackDown. It just felt like really can't beat him. Join him. That's yeah. it, Randy. That's that like that's bad. how you that's how you join the Wyatt family. But so now I, it's developed into something better. Yeah, it's developed. I just I for the life of me, I can't get where this is going because I'm like, well, when's Randy going to turn? Like, I feel like eventually he's going to have to turn back on him. This could be something that lasts all the way up until WrestleMania where he finally turns on Bray Wyatt and they have this ridiculous match, which is possible. But then again, it's like, well, why? Like, none of this makes sense. You turned on Kane. Kane's completely out of the picture. They win this match and they're a tag team. Luke Harper's back in the mix for reasons that none of us really truly understand what he's going to be doing if Randy and Bray are the tag team. Where Eric Rowan's still hurt, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But, eh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Listen, Luke Harper at least is getting some run. He was on the pre-show versus Kane. He intervened in this match, so they're keeping him around. We can't even see Apollo Crews. So Luke Harper can't complain about a damn thing right now. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it wasn't a bad match. I just felt like it was extraordinarily long. But, I love but... the finish where Orton taking the spear. Yeah, oh, I mean... Why? 
I, I liked I liked the finish. I mean, there were things that I liked in the match. Um, I feel like we didn't get enough AJ Styles and uh, Seth Rollins, though. But that's just me. Other than that, I thought it was it was a solid match. Definitely. Um, and then the match of the night, in which I'll go as far as saying should have match of the year consideration. What? How? Due to impact and just sheer shock value. Match no. of the year consideration: Goldberg Absolutely. versus Lesnar. I, oh my At god! At a smoking hot 126. That's one minute and 26 seconds. That that ba- you basically just insulted every match that happened this year that would had excellent storytelling. Listen, on. consideration: Knock versus. Let's see, my top matches is Knock versus Zayn. You have Knock versus AJ Styles in Wrestle Kingdom. Um, man. The same night, I think you had what Tanahashi. Yeah, I mean, there, there are so many so great many matches. matches. This should be in consideration with those. Nah, Mm-mm. sheer shock. That did you see anything like this coming? No, I didn't see it coming. Match that doesn't mean year. that. There you go. Match that, no, consideration. That's ridiculous. That's like saying when Goldberg just Goldberg spiked everybody, and I will never call a match that Goldberg has ever been in match of the year. Like he just he, when he was it had was a WC- never built like this. This I mean, okay, this was built for a rematch, right? And I feel like they made this decision somewhere along the line when Goldberg signed, uh, agreed to sign to be at Royal Rumble, which basically subsequently is going to put him at WrestleMania with Goldberg because there's no way he's running the Royal Rumble. We're basically going to revisit how they got to Goldberg Lesnar the first time at WrestleMania 20. But the match itself, I mean, it would. I feel like, and I, I think I said this maybe when we first heard about Goldberg and Lesnar, I said there's no way Goldberg's ready to wrestle a, a match. And I felt like Survivor Series was too soon. This was indicative of that. Because there's nothing else you could do but spear him twice and jackhammer him. Lesnar got in no offense. And I get what they're doing, but when they eventually do have a match, it's probably going to suck. But match of the year? Come on, man. That's match of the year consideration. That's like saying I just need it mentioned amongst those. You can't. There's just no way. And I'm not even going to debate this with you, but there's just, I mean, this this is not a real debate because this this wasn't a match. This was a moment. This is a moment. This wasn't a match. This is a moment. There's promos that are longer than this match. Goldberg's entrance was longer than this match. So how was it back to the year? It was a moment. It was a shocking moment. That's like saying that. I popped at least twice during this match. And it was a minute and 26 seconds. Uh, that's like saying when Steph Curry crossed over the entire Los Angeles uh, Clippers team and hit that three, that that was game of the year. It was a moment. It was a special moment. But the game, it's not memorable. You're not going to go back and go and say this match was memorable. The impact of the match was memorable for now, but it's not even something we're going to talk about next year because it's just the beginning of something. And it, to me, it was like it happened. It was surprising. I, I remember sitting there. I was watching it, and I, was, I said, really? Like, that's exactly what I said to my TV. That's how it ends? That's it? Oh, I I went nuts. I jumped in the air. It was a little less shocking than Lesnar breaking the streak. A little less shocking? A little less. It's it's on the rung right below that. No. No, I mean, Lesnar breaking the streak is is far above this. Lesnar breaking the streak is something. Lesnar getting squashed by Goldberg, like true Goldberg fashion. Like, we went back to 97. Dude, that I can actually see a little. Like, when it happened, I, w- I could actually get it because there was nothing else Goldberg could do but spear and jackhammer. That's all he could do. 
So for him Common to go, sense over, would say that. But, but but none of us thought it was going to happen. Taker Les like Taker losing like Taker losing was was not something anybody considered anymore by the time he got in there with Lesnar. Correct. A part timer at that time. So that and and they, they actually had a match, which again not match of the year caliber, moment of the year caliber. That match sucked up until that point. It was not that good, and that's what when he got pinned in a in a pretty mediocre match, people lost it because they were like, "This just happened." Like so, it was a moment. Like that's not a great match. Like this wasn't a great match. It was a great moment. It was a it was a surprising moment because it really matters what it leads to after this. Because ultimately, what's Lesnar's excuse? He overlooked Goldberg. Is that what it is? And does it devalue Lesnar? at this point, as the, the beast that he was. I mean, it has to, right? But that's what so makes did... it great. Nah. Old it... man Goldberg. Did you see that jackhammer? That was a legit-ass jackhammer. Well, he hit him with the jackhammer. I was glad to see that he was able to get him with the jackhammer. But I'm just like... I thought that's he was going to hold I... him a little longer, but it looked good. That's how I'm watching the match, like, oh, yeah, 49-year-old Goldberg could still do things. Like, that's how I watched it. And then it ended, and I was like, yeah, okay, guess that makes sense, because there was nothing else he could do. And, I, and then, I, I then didn't I think he was going to win. He won the last think, one. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think he was going to go over. So I mean, it was it was a bit of a surprise, but it it was it was it was shocking. But it was just not. It didn't blow me away because it just it made me ask a lot of questions, which is good. It gave us something to talk about. Um, it makes me wonder if Goldberg can even take a bump right now. I was like, well, he took nothing in that match, and I just wonder if that was the mentality when the match was booked. They were like. You don't really have time to get ready for this, so let's do this. And then you got like two months to get yourself ready for a real match for the Royal Rumble, which, which all he's going to do. Real is, match, yeah. yeah. Which all he's going to do is throw people over top rope, spear a bunch of people, and Lesnar's going to cost him the match. Like everybody sees that coming, which gives him another four months to get ready for WrestleMania. Okay, if that's what you guys got to do to get which there. Is smart in hindsight, and we should have all saw it coming, but no one did. No, nobody saw Goldberg wrestling another match, and that's what's which, amazing. Which made his promo on Monday Night Raw that much better. Oh, yeah. So now we wait for the Rumble, and it's going to be Goldberg-centric, and we got to see what number he comes in, and uh, whatever. I mean, and the, the actual full-time talented guys kind of get buried a little bit, but that's what they decided to do when they threw buttloads of money at Goldberg. Yeah. So let's talk about the real show this weekend, which is NXT TakeOver. NXT TakeOver, um, man, it to me... A lot of people didn't like it as much as like past takeovers. I thought it was great. It didn't have a wee match start to finish. Um, no, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, well, let's go down the list. All right. So we had, uh, well, you know, let's not even go down the list. Let's just start at the best match of the weekend. The Revival versus DIY. Dude, this match was, the two out of three falls match was by far my favorite match of the weekend. Oh, yeah. That, and how many times now is this for the Revival that they stole the show? I mean, okay. I remember when I first saw the Revival. I'm like, and you know, I remember before they would call the Revival, I was like, what are they, Mechanics? The and Mechanics. Like, oh, the Mechanics. And people were just like, oh, there's another tag team that's going to kind of job out, get somewhere. But their ring psychology is like old school wrestling brought into the new frontier and the new generation. And it's so good. So and it's so. It's so good to the point where, I, again, I said it on the show last time, I don't want to see them get called up to the main roster because I feel like they're going to get ruined on the main roster. But this, dude, this match was so good. So good. So many near falls. Um, you know, them going for each other's finishes w w was great. Oh, man. 
it was 22 minutes and to me it felt short yeah like they could have gone like another eight i would have been fine like the chemistry was great um someone asked me on twitter they were like oh is the revival this good or is it just their chemistry with diy i was like go back and watch the american alpha matches we thought those were amazing the end zone cast match in the overseas in England in London take yeah, like, like these guys don't have this bad for matches. a year, year and a yeah. half. And the gimmick yeah. just caught up to their ring psychology. That's all they needed. And the old school gimmick is perfect for them. I mean, this match was there there was actually a bad match on this this pay-per-view, but we'll talk about that in a second. But this match was just so good on a number of levels. You also kept the, the thing that kept being teased this whole is Gargano gonna be the one to take the fall again? And, you know, the lingering thought of maybe Ciampa turns on Gargano or whatever happens. But, no, these guys pulled through, got it together. The hot tags were on fire. The the ring psychology, back to, you know, Dash pulling, uh, uh, going under the ring to get to Ciampa. Like, there were just so many great things that you were just like, holy shit. Like, this this is what tag team wrestling is about. And you don't have that on either of the main roster shows no, right now. No, because people can't win clean on the main no. roster. It's always a gimmicky ending where someone has to cheat to win. Or something stupid. Like, no, it's okay to win clean. And you don't devalue the other team. We're here talking about the Revival, and they lost. Yeah, they, I mean, like, that's how you look good and lose. Like, there, there's ways to look phenomenal and lose. And they look phenomenal and lost. And I don't really know where they go from here. But, man, I enjoyed the hell out of this match. And that Toronto, yo, that Toronto crowd was on fire. It wasn't as good as a London crowd. I don't think anything can, can rival that London crowd. But this this Toronto crowd. It was, was close. Hot. And you know why it was close? It was because of the fire beginning with Bobby Roode and Ty Dillinger. Yo. The Bobby entrance Roode's, Oh my god. With the choir. <laughs> oh my God. He's this on guy, fire. And they this, changed his finisher, thank God. Yeah. This guy, I mean, again. Bobby Roode is exactly what the main roster needs. He wrestles that style. His, his he's theatrics. He's he's 100% theatrics. He's a solid, serviceable wrestler. He's not great, but he's good, and he's good enough to make a dent as an intercontinental champion immediately getting to the main roster, whether it's United States or IC title. I don't. Again, I keep saying that I don't necessarily need to see him feud with Nakamura. They're gonna do it because he's so over. But I feel like their styles. I don't know how they'll mesh. But I feel like this dude is. He can go to the main roster like tomorrow. There's nothing stopping Bobby Roode from being a, a top heel on the main roster and a main roster that needs top heels. Definitely. Uh, man, he's he's a top five guy. You put him on SmackDown right now. Yeah, he's a champ. I mean, there's... He's again, a champ. Yeah, he's a who, champ. Who is in his way? Like, AJ Styles is the best heel right now. Even though Kevin Owens should be the best heel, but he hasn't materialized like he should be the best heel, yeah. AJ Styles has been the best heel. There's and no one on so- SmackDown that can talk like Roode. No, and and Rude, but Rude's entrance, his presence is very douchebag. It's it's very Ric Flair meets Rick Rude. Um, it's like a combination of both. But and then this match was actually really good. Ty Dillinger once again is is just he makes people look like a million bucks. He's the best exactly jobber in wrestling. Yeah, he looked really good, and it's to the point now where that Dillinger is so over from being a jobber. And I remember this from the Barry Horowitz days in WWF. But he needs a run. He needs a legit run at something. Because he's paid his dues and he's been around too long to keep jobbing. Well, I think his reward would be going up to the main roster. He would still job at the main roster, but he'd get paid more and he'd be on national television. I feel yeah. like that's his, going to be his reward. I'm not sure if he ever becomes a champion. I don't necessarily sure if he cares. He's gotten himself over. He did what Mizdow did and, you know, just Sandow was able to do so many times. He took 
nothing and made it great. The crowd during Survivor Series on Sunday, every time someone was hit in the turnbuckle, yelled 10, 10, 10. Every count was a 10 off of Ty Dillinger. Guy's over, man. The guy's seriously over. Moving on, we had the uh, the authors of pain in TM61. This match wasn't good. This was the match I was. This match wasn't bad at all. No, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. The finish was either botched or just stupid. Um, the the hanging of Paul Ellering above the ring, it kind of didn't make any sense to me because it didn't add any heat to the match. Usually it was when you was to Dusty, it was yeah, Dusty's idea. What? He did it before. It was the same person. But it didn't need to happen in this match because there was no heat. It was nostalgic. Nah, I don't care about nostalgia. There's no meaning. And he had cheated for the Authors of Pain to win last time. Yeah, but the entire tournament, he was cheating. That's what managers do, and not every manager gets suspended above the cage. There needs to be heat in order for this to make sense, and there was no heat. So when he was above the cage and dropped the chain, I was like, "Oh, he dropped the chain," and it was like he dropped the chain for like, like two. Uh, guys who weigh like 350 pounds each to use a chain to beat these TM61 guys. And and it didn't, like, TM61... I think Razar, like, yeah, he threw the chain into the crowd by mistake instead of landing a punch. Yeah, like, it was like the whole ending was botched. That like, was I, a botch. But it wasn't a bad move. And we get to see Shane Thorne, who is incredible. But I just didn't, like, I don't feel like their styles are missed. I don't feel like this match came together. Yeah, when he um, climbed the, whatever, the, the arm that was holding the cage... And did yeah, the, cool. the flip. He has so many spots on this. I was watching it with Ryan McKinnell and uh, Danny Acosta from last week's show. And it was like, yo, he's clearly he's clearly the Sean to Nick Miller's Marty. Yeah, I mean, he got him some cool spots. I just, like, I, I didn't think this match came together. And maybe it's due to the authors of pain's limitations in the ring. Because we know TM61 can wrestle. Um, and maybe just it just showcased a bad side of authors of pain because... It seems like they're going to get this run to get these tag team titles. I just wanted, especially after what we saw last year with Samoa Joe and Finn Balor, I expected a much better finale for the Dusty Rose Classic. I didn't think this match was that great. I don't think it was bad at all. So you, right, you were just on. a stickler. Right? Yeah. Uh, what else we have? Asuka and Mickey um, James. Asuka and Mickey James. This was the worst match of the night, in my this opinion. Match, and it wasn't was, bad. This match was, it was another match that didn't quite come together. Um, I felt like Mickey looked good. Mickey lost weight after she had that baby. Um, you could tell she's a little bit, she's a lot skinnier than I remember her. Um, they, like, they both got in their offense. Felt like the, the ending was very abrupt with the Oscar lock. Like, it just kind of happened. Um, and it felt like they were playing towards each other, which was good. But overall, I just felt like this match never, it never quite came together. Like, it was it was good, but it felt like it could have been a lot better. And especially it needed to be good because Asuka's really run out of opponents to fight. Like, she really has nobody to deal with except when Ember Moon eventually wrestles her. Yeah, I mean, and Ember Moon really wasn't showcased. It is what it is. Asuka has to move up. Her and Bailey had probably her best match, and that still wasn't a great match. I'm not sure whose style meshes well enough for her. Ember a Moon, dude. Yeah, <laughs> on the real. Like, if this was Lucha Underground, she'd be going for men's championships. Yeah, she would. She but, really would. Yeah, but right now it's just like Ember Moon. Okay, Ember Moon, I've seen her like have dope transitions, and her athleticism will make for a great pairing, and maybe she can keep the pace. But so far, no one's been able to match the pace. That she goes. I think the best matchup in the entire company for Asuka, and I hope, 
hope Asuka goes to um, SmackDown because her versus Becky Lynch would be a great matchup. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Because um, they both I mean, use great suplexes. They have transitions. They have submissions. It'd be a really good, good wrestling match. They could both Natalia, stiff. I think Natalia would be good, too, because Natalia is, is a great worker in the ring. I think Natalia and Asuka could have a really good match. Like, you just got to have the right person that can deal with yeah. the stiffness of Asuka. Even Naomi, because Naomi has athleticism. Yeah, see, like, that, like I, I love Naomi, but I just think, like, when I look at pure, like from a pure wrestling and understanding ring psychology, even though I like Natalia as a heel, she's a great worker. Um, but again, that, that's that's just how far Oscar is along compared to everybody else. We got to bring in somebody from the outside to wrestle a match with her. Yeah. Um, I, I love the character though. I love when Mickey tried to shake her hand; she just held up the title. Like I love that Oscar is just like this. She's a tweener, and it's you know, ambiguous. People, you don't yeah. know. You don't know what she is. You know, she'll smile and like flip you to birds. So. It, there, there's that. Um, and then, then there's the main event. Uh, Joe going over on Nakamura. Better I, than I, their first match. Still didn't hit the fifth gear for me. Like, this, I feel like they still haven't... Like, they're, they're, they're doing better, but it still hasn't gone there yet. It was like, so stiff, though. And they had great shots all night. But it was, spot, it, there was blood. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the opening with the strikes was was. Good, but I felt like it lost steam somewhere between like the middle to the end before um, the finish with the stairs being implemented and everything else. I just feel like I've watched Nakamura and I've watched Joe both compete in um, either five star matches or near five star matches. Joe obviously is TNA days, um, and Nakamura in New Japan. These two together, I feel like should bring bring us something that we've never really truly seen before on NXT. Uh, just a different style between two. Stiff, snug wrestlers who could still wrestle. And I felt like this match got us closer to that point, but it's not quite there. And that doesn't mean it's bad at all. It just means that I'm, my, my bar is set really high for these two. And, you know, Joe going over means we're definitely getting a third match. It has to be a stipulation match of some sort. Um, and a lot of people were surprised that Nakamura lost. But I'm like, dude, you can't go undefeated forever. No, that's, yeah, that's the case. He has to lose. Um, he lost quite a bit in New Japan. So if yeah. people didn't like follow Nakamura in New Japan, he didn't win a lot. No, I mean, he, he never champion. won the big no. title. No, but he <laughs> lost a lot in New Japan. Yeah, he never like he lost to Okada. He lost to Tanahashi. Like he he never got to that point. But it's okay. He's gonna lose, and this is the best feud for him right now. Him and Joe have a ton of heat. So hopefully this third match is just completely flames and burns the house down. Because these two, the first match they, they were good, but I'm like, damn, I expected more. Like I expected. Like, more dramatic finishes. Like, I expect, you know, a lot more near falls near the end and a lot more reversals and a lot more knowing each other. Because the one thing that made Tanahashi and Okada great in New Japan is that after a while, they wrestled so many times that they learned each other's tricks. Yeah. And those tricks played out into the ring. So they couldn't get over what got over in the last match. That's what I want to see out of these two. So hopefully that happens. But overall, I thought it was a good match. Yeah, that's that's the key. Hopefully, you know, they build on it one more time. I would love to see a real Iron Man match with these guys. 60 minutes. Let them I don't go. Even, I don't even need an Iron Man match. I don't need a cage because I know that I feel like they're going to go the route of the cage. Um, they uh, booked for a cage already. Now, we'll see. Overseas, I think, and like the Australian tour. So I hope they don't go for their next, uh, I, I guess, pay-per-view with it. Yeah, I see. You know, it could be like a last man standing match. Um 
you know, I, I don't know what it, I don't know exactly what it could be. I mean, it could be a two out of three falls match, but they just did it with a revival. Um, but whatever it is, I just hope that it really plays to their strengths because these these are two wildly great talents that um, could really turn the you know the main roster on this year whenever they both debut. So again, this was good. Joe getting the title back is good. That's good for NXT. It's good to build heat because we don't need another feud that kind of blows off our two pay-per-views. We need this thing to kind of extend because the, like, there's really nowhere for these two to turn but to each other. Exactly. It's an eight-month feud, and I'm down with it. Um, let's take a quick break then because we just got to come back, recap boxing that we saw over the weekend. It's going to be a short segment, but we'll do boxing, touch on some UFC stuff, then we'll be out of here. Before we continue to talk more combat sports, we got to give another thanks to Casper Mattresses. Casper Mattresses combine two technologies, springing latex foam and supportive memory foam to create an award-winning sleep surface. Have y'all ever slept on memory foam? It's like floating on air. It's that great. And this is how we get our sleep. So you guys make sure that you check it out. Casper Mattresses are made in the USA and have free shipping and returns to the US and Canada. Shout out to the Great North. You can buy your Casper mattress easy online, and it's completely risk-free. Look, dude, you spend like a third of your life sleeping, and Casper understands the importance of trying out a mattress before you commit. Look, so if you are satisfied with the Casper mattress, you got a 100-day period. Yeah, that's right, 100 days. You know, like, 100 days of sleeping, by, by about that time, I think I know if I like my mattress. So get a Casper mattress for $500 for a twin or $950 for a king size. And you can save an additional $50 towards your Casper mattress by going to casper.com backslash the corner and entering the promo code the corner. That's casper.com backslash the corner. Promo code the corner to save $50 towards your Casper purchase. Terms and conditions apply. Look, again, man, I like to sleep and these things are for real. All right, everybody, welcome back. Shout out to the sponsors once again. Thanks, all you guys, for really showing support, taking the surveys, everything. It means a lot to us. Right now, we got to touch boxing because we were at the Ward Kovalev fight eating Shake Shack. Yes, and, sir. Uh, enjoying good boxing. And it was a fight that many of us, me included, predicted. It went the way many people thought it was going to go. It was very even. I thought a knockdown would be the difference. And... There was controversy at the end because it was so such an evenly paired matchup. First off, Andres, how'd you score it? You were right. I had you it two rows in front of me. I had it a draw. I had it one um one fourteen, one fourteen. I had it I had scored either the ninth or the tenth round, a ten ten round. Um and it was really because I couldn't I like it it was so close, I was like, I can't remember what happened. And I was just like, all right, this is a ten ten round. They were really close. Um that's how I had it. I, I wasn't mad with the, the decision. I wasn't mad either way. Like, people were pissed at Ward 1. But he clearly made adjustments and took over the second half of that fight. And it wasn't like a takeover, like Mayweather-Mosley. It wasn't like, you know, when Mosley clocked Mayweather, and Mayweather's like, fuck that, you never hit me with that punch again, and really dismantled Mosley throughout the match. Ward just made these methodical adjustments that took away anything that Kovalev threw after the jab. He, he roughed him up on the inside, um... He was, you know, he got his jab going and he just kind of, he just kind of started to control his ring generalship started to show. And he eventually like won a majority of those rounds down the stretch. I don't think it was a robbery, um, but for, for Andre Ward to say anything but an immediate rematch is ridiculous. Like this, this needs to happen immediately. Yeah, they got to run, run it back. back. Um, well, with the knockdown and I had it scored like all three judges had it scored 4-1. 
in favor of Kovalev after five, plus a knockdown. It's hard for me to think that he didn't win one more round or two more rounds the rest of the fight. So in the next seven rounds, he didn't win two? I mean, they were, they, they were close. Like, I, I would literally have to sit here and watch the fight again because in, in my head, I agree with what you're saying. Like, when you, when you say that to me, I was like, man, that does sound ridiculous, doesn't it? But, but it's possible, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I gave a lot of those rounds to Ward. And I, th- I just thought he started controlling the fight and he started doing what he wanted to do more than Kovalev, which is a, a great testament to, to both fighters because, one, people that said that Ward was going to put on a boxing clinic learned really quick that Kovalev could box. And that jab was something else because Ward did not like getting hit by that jab. At all. And, and then when he got hit with the, the right to send him down, you know, I think he was more surprised than anything else. Um, so he, he had to make those adjustments. But this, this version of Ward that we saw, and I don't want to take anything away from Sergey Kovalev, but I want to say that this version of Ward wasn't the master defender. And I said this at the, when he fought Sullivan Barrera, that Ward gets a hit a little bit too much now, much more than I expected. Granted, both these guys only landed like 10 punches per round. This is the most dramatic 10-punch lands per round fight I've ever seen. <laughs> but it just felt like Ward wasn't fast. He wasn't a boxing dynamo. But he, he knew what he needed to do to win. Like he had to, he had to really dig down deep to win this match. And Ward's never had to do that before. Well, I, was telling, never- I was telling writers uh, right there on Media Row, like afterwards everyone was discussing the fight, and I was like, Ward knew what he had to do to win this fight. And the second one would probably go very similar to where, as, you know, fresh on fresh, stepping right into the ring, Kovalev is the better fighter because his power. Now, Ward held a lot, which is why you see 10-punch landing rounds. Is because yeah. Ward was living in the clinch, just wrap him up, frustrating Kovalev, but really sapping his energy. And through the first four rounds, Ward was almost exclusively going to the body. We didn't see his jab until the sixth. Nope. It's because he hit Kovalev in the body, he wrapped him up, and he sapped his energy. And when Kovalev was fresh and hitting Ward, the jab stung a little bit more. And then the right hand was crushing because it was fresh. When he got tired, the right hand was non-existent. And Ward then later on in the fights leaned into the jab. That's one thing people were like, oh, man, Kovalev's jab is still so great. Well, yeah, Ward was going into the jab. Because the jab wasn't going to knock him out. It hurts. It looks bad. But he was leaning into the jab, thus rolling away from the right hand that would knock him out. So he was picking the best of two evils. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to lean into this jab, let it hit me square in the face, but the right is going to miss over my ear. And he gambled on that, and then Sergey got tired, and when you make it, uh, okay, we're going to limit this fight. It's not going to be a heavy output fight. And we just got to see who's the more precise fighter. Andre Ward said, I'm going to win that. And he did. When Kovalev can throw in volume and can just out, outproduce Ward, Ward had no chance. So he fought a very smart fight. He got lucky that it paid off early enough because it was really one round away from him being a rap and needing a knockout. And people still thought he needed that. Yeah, he um, his clinch and shoot strategy worked. And I was concerned about that strategy because Ward, that's what Ward does. It, you know, he'll, he'll hit you with a punch, wrap you up, make sure you can't get anything off. I thought if he deployed that strategy early, he could stink his way to a victory. I think the knockdown added so much drama to this fight because people are like, oh, shit, Ward's in a fight. Like, he's got he's to fight from behind. And he was in I-need-a-knockout territory by round five. Like, he was, he was one round away from needing a knockout. And 
from that point on, like he fought a smart fight. I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious how a rematch goes for two reasons. One, does Ward have Kovalev figured out? Because there was another thing that he did was he controlled the range a lot better than he did earlier. I don't think I don't think Ward truly understood how long Kovalev's jab was, and then he had to make an adjustment. Two, who's the referee? Robert Byrd let a lot of that infighting go and the clinching. And there was a thing that Kovalev started to do, they realized that he needed to do late, was when Ward would clinch with him, push him into the ropes, yeah. make him work. And I only, Kovalev didn't realize that until about the eighth round, I think, that Ward, when he was clinching, he was trying to control the fight and turn him, but he was like, he just shoved him back because Ward wasn't going to let go. And Bird just let a lot of things go. If Robert Bird's not the referee, and let's say it's Vic Draculich, does this fight play out exactly the same? I don't it think does... so. The ref played a part in, you know, the big ups to Ward in his camp, knowing who they had yeah, as a so... referee. And knowing that that's also part of great rings, you know, ring awareness and psychology and all that stuff, being a great boxer. You feel out how the ref is calling it. And if he lets you slide on that, then you keep going. It's no different than any other sport. The Seattle Seahawks won championships off of that. Like, yo, we're just going to PI people every play. And the ref can't call everything. And you judge how the refs are calling the game. So it's the same thing in boxing. He, he was like, oh, he's not going to make me, you know, he's not going to warn me for holding. I could damn near shoot a double leg and he's not going to say anything. Oh, this is going to be great. And that's what he did. Yeah, he toughed it out. He toughed it out. So now, now the question is, and, you know, at Ring Magazine, we've we had a lot of discussions. I can't really talk about what we discussed, but I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on it. The pound-for-pound pound status. Um, Warren Kovalev. For Ring Magazine, it was number two, Kovalev, versus number four, Ward. Four? Yeah. And um, Chocolatito sits in number one. And ESPN just released their rankings, which you can touch on. Um, uh, so, I mean, before you saw all these rankings, what do you think the, the turnout should have been? Like, who should be the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world? Well, I think Roman Gonzalez, Chocolatito, is the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. I thought so before this fight. And it's a great billing. And, you know, Sergey with a win, probably could have jumped him because it was like 1A, 1B. But I always had Roman above him. So I'm going to keep Roman where he is. Now, number two has to be Andre Ward because I don't care how I had it scored, how other people had it scored. He won. And he moved up in weight to a weight class where a guy was utterly dominant and took his belt. He is number two. And then after that, okay, maybe then you can go a Golovkin, maybe. I still think Kovalev's record and just overall, I guess, strength of opponents is better. So does Kovalev drop under Gennady? Probably no. not. So Kovalev is above Triple G. I don't know. I guess so that's one, two, three. I would probably put Terrence Crawford, then go Kovalev, then go Triple G. That's my top five. Okay. Um. So I understand why Chocolatito is number one. My my issue with it is war. See, it goes back to how I've had them ranked. I've had Kovalev the number one pound for pound fighter in the world for a while, and I put Chocolatito at number two. And it wasn't like a distant number two. It was very close. And then he beat Quadras, and I was like, yeah, maybe Chocolatito is number one because he moved up in weight, won another world title. War ESPN has Kovalev. Ranked above Ward, which is yes. utterly ridiculous. ESPN I, goes Roman Gonzalez, Gennady Golovkin at two, Kovalev at three, Ward at four, Terrence Crawford at five. Now, the thing is, the pound-for-pound pound list is a fictional list 
where you would look at a fighter and say what he would do against other fighters if they were all the same weight. Now, that part of that has to do with the eye test. And Gennady Golovkin passes the eye test for a lot of people, including myself. But strength of schedule, just like in college football, is very important here. It counts. Sergey Kovalev has beat Bernard Hopkins. He iced Jean-Pascal twice. And he's looked ridiculously dominant against people that he's fought. Golovkin, people are avoiding him. And it's not his fault. It's just the way it is. Um... Chocolatito's in the lower weight class where there aren't as many big names. And on some levels, that hurts him, but it, it, for people who know boxing, it, it made him the number one fighter in the world. With Ward, Ward is a guy who he looked at for years and said he, if there was no Floyd Mayweather, he'd be the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. So my issue is, is he just beat the number two guy in the world, and no matter how narrow it was. It wasn't definitive, which is the reason why he's not number one. But he still beat the number two pound-for-pound fighter in the world. So on some levels, you can say that Andre Ward is the number one pound pound fighter in the world. But I get it. I get why people aren't ready for him to serve. And the inactivity and everything, it's... It, that makes it hard. Because Chocolatito fights, you know, like I, I've always said, I've never been impressed with Ward's schedule. What he did after the Dan Goosen thing and going to Rock Nation, I just was not a fan of. Like, he fought a bunch of fights at light heavyweight against people who suck. So it was like, all right, but then you got in there with somebody, you proved it. You know, you did what you had to do. Um, but Gennady falls behind these guys. Terrence Crawford falls behind these guys, too, because... Behind strength, both of them? Yeah. Strength of schedule. As good as Terrence Crawford looked against Victor Postal, who else, who else has he really fought when you really think about it? I mean, 140 is horrible in general right now. I mean, you know, not to their fault. A lot of people moved up. That's what I'm saying. 140 but is horrible, and then it's even worse being an HBO guy at 140. But you can only deal with the strength of your schedule. And Terrence Crawford fighting Molina, I mean, it's not his fault. He's, he's jumping in and taking a date because Golovkin couldn't get Danny Jacobs to fight. But Terrence Crawford needs that. He, I mean, he beat Yoriokas Gamboa. But Ward and Kovalev just fought each other. So it, you can't pass them. Now, my problem with ESPN's list, other than that, is where Manny Pacquiao was ranked. That's a problem for me. Pacquiao has moved up to number six. Right behind Terrence Crawford, and then we have Canelo Alvarez, who's moved down um, for no apparent reason. Why is he number on the seven? List? Uh, Lomachenko is eight, Rigandau nine, Thurman ten. See, uh, uh, yeah, that, I completely disagree with with ESPN's list, and I don't know if that's a Dan and Nigel and those guys thing, but there's just Cotto is is arguably twelfth on their list right now. See. I just how how is Cotto on the list? Like you're completely negating a lot of the other the smaller fighters. Like okay, to me the most talented fighter in the world, talent wise, we're getting to see this weekend in, in Lomachenko, and he's going to be fighting Nicholas Walters. Lomachenko is one of the best fighters in the world, and he's to me clearly better than Canelo was. He's the best amateur we've ever seen. Another person is Guillermo Rigondeaux. Like him or not, this guy pretty much dominates everybody he fights. I hate watching them fight. I was about but, to say, but it's boring as hell. But, hey, it is what it is. It, it is. This is the pound for pound. This isn't the excitement list. This isn't Jim Lampley's Arturo Gotti list. This is the pound for pound list. And Lomachenko, Rigondeaux, yeah, I get why Canelo's on the list. Carl Frampton deserves to be on this list. Because Frampton, is he on ESPN's list? Carl Frampton received zero votes. He that wouldn't be 16th ridiculous. on their list. Errol Spence Jr. received one vote, and I believe it was a 10th place vote. Well, um, Errol Spence shouldn't be on the list. That's that's fair. He hasn't fought anybody to make this list. Vladimir Klitschko received two votes. Wilder received three. 
Timothy Bradley Jr. received two. So all these people above him. Yeah, see, like, you got Shinsuke Yamanaka, the WBC Bantamweight champion, who is a 26-0 with two draws, who's been amazing for for the duration of his career. Um, Keith Thurman, he might, like, he, he, he should be on the list. Like, Canelo at number seven is kind of high for me. And then Ring Magazine, we have Canelo at eight, and that's still high for me. And maybe I'm just a Canelo hater, and that's maybe that's what I'm finally realizing, is that I just don't like Canelo Alvarez. But, <laughs> but Frampton I just, deserves a spot somewhere. Yeah, Carl Frampton should be on the pound for pound list. And I they can't, just oh, we're getting that fight. Yeah, January him and Leo 20th. Santa Cruz will be fighting in Vegas in January, which I'm so looking forward to. Um, but it's just like a fight like this, Andre Ward has to grant Sergey Kovalev an immediate rematch or he loses any momentum that he built for himself and the sport of boxing. So if he loses in the rematch, then we just run it for a trilogy? Absolutely. Boxing needs a feud right now. Boxing needs a top-tier rivalry. I'm it right needs, with that. You know, it needs a Leonard Duran, a Leonard Hat, a Leonard Hearns. It needs some guys to fight more than once who are at the top of their game. Because let's be honest, if they don't fight each other, who do they fight? People are like Adonis Stevenson. Who gives a shit about Adonis Stevenson? I wouldn't mind watching one of them knock out Adonis Stevenson. But not next. Like they need to run this back immediately. Like there's no reason to wait to fight to have this fight again. So go ahead and do it. Make this fight happen. And then, you know, if Ward wins again, all right, then you're done. But if Kovalev wins, you have a trilogy. Because this fight didn't sell out. There was 13,000, a little over 13,000 in T-Mobile. It, it probably is not going to do that well on pay-per-view, but the rematch will do better because yeah. people heard about this fight. And that arena was electric on Saturday night. Just for their a, fight. People yeah. came out of the woodwork. Yeah, that was a trash undercard. But like, <laughs> like we were eating Shake Shack. For, the for like an hour, we were down there just chilling. Trash undercard. But Ward Kovalev is a fight that the second time around will garner a lot more attention from mainstream media because the first fight was so good. But if you don't run it back, you're hurting Ward and Kovalev because they have nobody to really fight that people are going to care about. Like, you got to have a rivalry. Boxing needs rivalries, and this is perfect because you got Frampton and Santa Cruz fighting again, which is great. Like, I don't know how this Lomachenko-Walters fight is going to turn out this weekend. I think Lomachenko might blow him out, but we'll see. But... You know, like Keith Thurman and Porter, like people think they should run that back, but 147 is so crowded. So you need a good high-level rivalry. And Ward Kovalev is, is that. It's America versus Russia, power puncher versus master boxing technician. Like there's so many things here that make these storylines ripe for a lot of people to jump up on. But otherwise, if Ward says, nah, I'm not going to be able to give him a rematch, I mean, else you look like a bitch is what you look like. <laughs> He's running from me. Yeah. No, I mean— Listen, but he can take his win and run if he wants. That's what That's happens what, when you win. Yeah, but you don't get any, like, you're Andre Ward. You're not a guy who sells a lot of pay-per-views. You had your first pay-per-view. You're not a guy who people are checking for like that. So you need to stay interesting. And what do you got to lose? You're going to have to meet this dude again. You're not going to get away from Sergey Kovalev. What do you need a tune-up fight for? You had three of them motherfuckers before you fought him. He gets bumped. <laughs> yeah. Get in there and fight now. Now, that's real. That's I mean, pfft. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Hopefully it's here. And boxing would be better for it. And True. then, like you touched on, we have Lomachenko-Walters this weekend. That's going to be a great fight. Another top pound-for-pound guy. Um, boxing is alive and well. Not, yeah, it's, you know, it's not dead. We've got good fights. Oscar De La Hoya said it's the worst year for boxing ever. I saw some great fights this year. We had some great fights. I mean, this was the year that didn't like the fans. This was like boxing saying F you to the fans for the big fights. 
But everything else, I mean, we got good fights this year, and it's going to close well. So it, it, it is what it is. Um, that is what's key. Um, real quick before we get out of here, UFC had two cards, Brazil and Belfast. Going through just some of those fights, Ryan Bader dominated Lil Nog. You surprised? Nope. That was pretty easy. Whooped his ass from the opening bell. Uh, I do not think this is enough to give Bader a championship shot for the winner of Rumble DC. Mm-hmm. Even John Jones is suspended. If if it does, that's it. This division is shittier than I thought. This division is it, it is trash, dude. I mean, there's no real <laughs> way around it. The light heavyweight division sucks. Like John Jones pretty much cleaned it out to the point where Machida moved down and now he's suspended. Suspended, yeah. You know, OSP just lost, and there's really no nowhere else to go. So Bader probably has that guy. He's probably going to be that guy to get the title shot, even though, you know, he's not really good, but eh, Did they not see him get his face taken off by Rumble? No? Everyone just sleep through that? All right. Well, just just wonder. Uh, Almeida bounces back with a huge KO. That kid's just going to keep rolling, right? Like, he just ran into a buzzsaw. That is Cody Garbrandt. Yeah, I mean, we'll see, because he just knocked off a guy who's not even ranked in the top 15, so it is what it is. He did what he was supposed to do. Um, Yeah, I mean, he's fun to watch. He's not tricky. I thought he would be gun shy. No, he's not going to be gun shy. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, Lobov beat Ishihara, which breaks my heart because Ishihara is one of the funniest guys in the UFC. Yeah, I um, guess. I always root for him to win just out of pure, what the hell is he going to say after this fight? Right. You know, him partying with the girls, and he did like a whole t- Twitter thing in Belfast leading up to this fight. Guy's hilarious, but you got to win. That you do. And Musasi dominates Hall in the rematch. Yeah, man. Um, Gagar might be the best in that division. No lie. No, he's, he's not the best in that division. Who's better? But, I mean, I think that... Uh, I think, I think that he Rock beats Romero. Him. I don't think he beats Jacare. I, don't, Ooh, I, mean, I think he beats Jacare. Nah, man, I don't think he beats Jacare. I, I don't think he beats Jacare Rock- and Romero. I don't think he beats Rocco. I think Rocco fell asleep at the wheel. I still think he's the most talented middleweight in the division. I got to see Rock Hole coming back. Now he's Hollywood. He got the girl. He'll be fine. He got all this shit. I don't know where his head is at. Um, Heck, he's fine. Don't worry about Luke Rock Hole. That dude is still a savage. He just, he, 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 his head got too big. And I think the loss might actually help him. Because when he lost to, when he lost to Vita Belfort, the dude turned into a savage and ran over everybody. Like he ran over everybody in the middleweight division. He's going to do it again. All right. You, you got it. You keep the faith. Uh, this weekend, fight night, Melbourne. Any reason to watch this card? Any of No, them? Robert Whitaker and Derek Brunson, I will watch it because Brunson has been on the run as of late. Robert Whitaker, thanks, Robert Whitaker, whatever. I don't One care about this fight. card. The only thing I, I, we didn't touch on is um, Bellator this week. Uh, Chandler and, and Henderson, and Benson Henderson has lost again. Again, um, but this one, hell of a fight. Very close fight. Um, the right guy won, split decision. Um, and, you know, people are like, oh, Benson Henderson's not good. Well, that's bullshit. Benson Henderson is good. Michael Chandler's just really good, too. Um, but it, the other thing is that now they just announced Fedor is signed with Bellator as fighting Matt Meathead Mitrione in February in uh, San Jose. It's hmm. one hell of a fight to pick. I don't think – I can't pick Fedor, right? But I have zero faith in Mitrione. I mean, how do you not pick Mitrione to mow Fedor over after what Fedor looked like against uh, uh, Maldonado? I don't know. It, Dude, I don't Fedor like Mitrione. Like I, Meathead's gonna beat the brakes off of Fedor. It's a damn just, shame. 
book it because Fedor looked terrible against Fabio Maldonado. He looked, looked terrible, and he got a gift decision there. He's still Fedor. Bellator knows what they're doing. I like what Bellator is doing. I enjoy the fact that they're grabbing these names. I so, mean, they're going for the Lesnar-Goldberg angle. Yeah, and then GSP was spotted there, took some pictures with Rory, Max, Scott, Coker, and Fedor. Could he be teasing something? Could GSP make his way over to Bellator? I doubt it because litigation would be a bitch. Yeah. But, you know, it's just the fact that the idea is out there. And your boy CM Punk confirmed another fight. Almost forgot about that. Yeah, good for him. He's fighting uh, again. He thinks it's in the UFC. He's talking to Dana. You'll have to go through the whole circus all over again. Yeah, it's not going to be that much of a circus. I don't think people are going to care nearly as much the second time around. Oh, you got, you'd, you'd be surprised. You yeah. underestimate the fanatics in, oh, I mean, in combat sports. Look, they're, they're, people are going to still be talking about the fight, but it's not going to have near the hype that it had with Gall. Like, CM Punk fighting again is like on a fight night card. No, it or, has to be pay-per-view, and it has to be against Mike Jackson. That. Why would they do that? Because they both lost to a similar opponent. They both have UFC so records. What? No, not in the UFC. Like that's an insult you can't to people let that have been fight anywhere UFC. else. Because he's going to be a cash cow for anyone else. I mean, if if you're getting the money, like if you put him on Fight Pass, there's, there's other things you could do there. But whatever. CM Punk gets a fight. Good for him. Who cares who he fights? He's got a lot of work to do. He don't got a lot of time to do it. We don't got a lot of time left in the show. We want to thank you guys for listening. Enjoy your Thanksgiving holidays. If you're listening to this after Thanksgiving, reminisce on the great food that you had. Hopefully you got leftovers. You took a plate from whatever crib you went to. If you cooked at home, invite us over for a plate. I'm always down for extra food. Uh, you can find us on social media at the corner LSN on all platforms. Me at Kel Dansby. Yeah, for me at Andreas Hill. We're going to be busy, fed, and tired this whole weekend. So if we catch up to you, what up? Come say hi to us if you're in town in Vegas for the fight. If not, we'll talk to you guys next week. We're out. Peace. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.